This is Rojim Geeker. And my name is Brian. And welcome to this week's episode of Straight Up Podcast. So, as always, before we begin, I'm just going to read a quick disclaimer. Uh, the views expressed in and throughout the Straight Up Podcast are strictly our own. Unless explicitly referenced, any references to specific people, places, things, or ideas are entirely coincidental. Straight Up intends to inform an audience by objective and subjective means, but we can never guarantee absolute objectivity. Our views now are not related to the views of any entity that we have been related to, are related to, and or and will be related to. Yep. So with that said, we'll get on with our fifth episode of this season. And um, with the amazing support that you guys have given us and the amazing feedback that we've received, we wanted to let you guys have a chance to join us um, every episode or so and kind of speak on some of your unique experiences and perspectives. And with that said, we have our first guest here, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Sammy Degasani, and I'm a rising senior at Alfreda High School. Over the past few months, I've been more public with my activism regarding Black Lives, the LGBTQ plus community, and feminism. And the meetings I generally choose are protesting, being vocal on social media, um, spoken word poetry, phone banking, and more recently, writing to and meeting with our school's administration to enact change. Yeah. yeah, and I think Sammy has been a big um, inspiration for all of us, especially in our school and in our community um, with the things he's done. And and it's just amazing to see. So we wanted to bring him on, kind of share some of his perspective on, on some of these topics. Yeah, and we never put this in the doc, but before we jump into the actual content, we just want to just quickly uh, say that some of the content in this episode may be triggering. Anything yeah. that's really bad, we will, or anything that may be deemed... Um, potentially triggering to the masses we will take out but um we just want you guys to know that some things may be uncomfortable to hear yeah so feel free to skip um move through the episode maybe not listen to it it's really up to you and this is just us giving our transparent uh thoughts and perspectives about it yeah so with that said um the first thing we usually have a lot of guiding questions but it's just pretty much an open interview for like the first 15 20 minutes or so Mm -hmm. so i guess the first question i want to ask is just tell us about your personal experience being, you know, fitting into your identity, who you are, and describe it for us. Yeah. Right. So I kind of first knew that I was gay when I was 12. Um, it wasn't until last summer um, that I kind of told people and I came out to my parents. Uh, I first told two of my closest friends, um, two listeners of this podcast, and then I told my parents uh, the day after uh it wasn't the best experience my parents told me that i was too young to know mm-hmm. i never fully like finished the sentence but they knew where the where it was going um yeah and then a week later i went to a month long uh program where i was away from them yeah <laughs> um and so i think there i really developed my identity coming close coming into close contact with like a lot of other lgbt students and i I signed up to perform a spoken word poem Mm -hmm. uh, by the end of it. And I kind of told my story and spoke my truth about that entire experience and dealing with um, my mom's reaction with that. Um, And I got a a lot of positive feedback and a lot of people telling me that they've never heard their story told. And that's why I'm kind of here today, Mm -hmm. because uh, it's just something that I want to continue telling and be that story for someone because I never had that. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, I heard about his performance. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were talking about it. So, so yeah, no, I heard it was great. I never got to hear it actually, and I would love to hear it sometime after this podcast. 
But that's really cool. I mean, to discover your identity at a young age and be comfortable with it is something that a lot of kids are struggling with today, which is part of the reason why we're doing this podcast. You know, Mm -hmm. we know some people are still uncomfortable with who they are. And despite society progressing, there's still a lot of things that are holding uh, holding society back in terms of accepting these people fully. So and at the same time, I don't I feel like we're we other them, you know, you know what that like we other the community as a as a whole. So there's a lot of strides that we that could still be made. But expanding off of that, um, what was your experience in school, like with your identity and right? So like in the social circles of school, yeah. So I I was never really out until this year, like I said. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of just something that, like, based on my demeanor and how I act, everyone had in the back of their minds, kind mm-hmm. of. So just like dealing with a little bit of bullying in school, like in middle school, I was called the F slur multiple times. I still endure kind of those gay jokes today. Um, While I know some of them aren't directed at me, I just, I always try to quell them, even if my friends are saying them. Um, But it's just a learning process that a lot of people have to go through. So it's just dealing with that, um, those like jokes and that that kind of hate speech, I would say, Mm -hmm. um, amongst other microaggressions. But yeah. Yeah. Do you think the... uh... Obviously, the slur is hate speech. Like, there's no, there's nothing that says that it isn't. But do you think that kids that are using these slurs know how offensive they are? Like, do you think they understand the weight? And if they did, do you think they'd stop using it? I think partly. I think um, people might not know the origin of the F word. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't. Yeah. Would don't. you like me to? Yeah. Explain? Okay. Yeah. So, um, the F word in Britain is basically a cigarette. So, <laughs> what they used to do was roll up. Mm-hmm. Um, homosexual men in carpets and kind of light that on fire. What? And Jeez. so it'd like kind of embody a cigarette. So they just refer to those men as the uh-huh. hustler. Um, and that's kind of carried on. Um, oh, obviously, I, I do not think a lot of people know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, wow. And so I think if they knew that, a lot of people would stop. But I think just homophobia is just so normalized mm-hmm. and it's so into the mainstream, even with jokes, uh, that it's. It's not like it's too crazy if someone no. uses it. Like I don't yeah, think it's on. Yeah, yeah. I don't think people deal with it the same way as they deal with the N word. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not. It's not. A, it's not a quote unquote cancelable offense. I yeah. think. I think TikTok is like a big example of where I've seen a lot of homophobia. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen like duets of just people um, saying things that obviously are not respectful in any manner towards LGBTQ members, and like that is also become like just like you said normalized and a lot of people like support that like they openly like you know will like the post so like they'll comment on it and they'll comment positive things you know right. like you'll see a lot of pos- like it's weird to say but you'll see a lot of positivity around homophobia on tiktok which mm-hmm. is like it's just a sad thing and it's a sad sentence to say honestly but like you know people have to kind of realize the extent to where you know their actions and things are going mm-hmm. so do you think that so obviously we are living in an age where there are more people that are coming out and there are more people that are becoming comfortable with their identity. Do you think we'll ever reach a point, at least in our lifetimes, where the group stops becoming othered in, in like a psychological way and everyone is able to be comfortable with their identity fully? I think it would take a lot of time to do that. Um, I've read numerous studies just as a way to kind of justify my identity, um, but I've read numerous studies that no one is 100% either way and that it's a spectrum and the vast majority of the population, even though they might not be out, um, is on that spectrum and kind of has feelings towards the same gender. 
um, in one way or another. So I think the more people realize that and that mm-hmm. possibility that it can be them, um, the more open they'll be and more accepting they'll be. But again, I think it'll take a long time, not even a couple of decades, I don't think would solve mm-hmm. that, but still. Yeah. So you think that, you know, obviously you, sexuality is a fluid thing. Mm-hmm. And I think people, I mean, I think in our area, for us living in Georgia, we live in a pretty liberal pocket. It's not as bad as like... I think it's getting it's getting more liberal. Sure. Yeah, but when you drive like just 40 minutes south, it gets like noticeably yeah. bad. But even here, sexuality is considered a binary thing. You're either... It's it's almost like people think you can't be both. I know that sounds weird, but if, you know, sexuality is a fluid thing. It's a, it's a social construct, if that makes sense. And people don't understand that it's not always black and white. Like he said, no, mm-hmm. like there's no way someone is 100% straight. You know what I mean? Right. Because I, like... Just because you also, I feel like just because you aren't romantically attracted to someone, to another gender that is your gender, you can still be attracted platonically, which I feel like would also count. Yeah, I think it's all just interwoven. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like it's just, it it should be more fluid than it is right now, but it's becoming more fluid, right? Because obviously back then it was a lot more taboo than it is today. So, yeah. And like, I guess for um just like i spoke about like how you know you the experience about telling your parents and in an asian household i think just from like from experience of like what i've heard parents and like indian and asian parents talk about and my parents even too like there is definitely stigma towards it and Mm -hmm. there's definitely then they definitely look down on it um for them i don't want to put a label on like every single asian household out there obviously there are some a lot more accepting households and there are a lot more households that look down on it but i think the overall um I guess opinion towards it is it's not the most positive and it's not the most open-minded so i guess like in your experience um kind of uh telling your parents and having them accept your identity like how, how was that for you right so i kind of was more confident to tell my parents um because they are very liberal um i remember one instance i was just driving in the car with my dad and we were passing a pride parade and he told me to honk the car so, like, as a positive kind mm-hmm. of applause. Um, and so that gave me a lot of confidence in telling them. But it's one thing to have these beliefs and political stances, um, if you call them that. Um, and it's one thing to practice it. I think yeah. in an Asian household, when there's external influence of our family in India, and there's that lokya <laughs> kenge, <laughs> or, exactly. like, what will people oh, say? <laughs> It's like the idea of what will people say. Uh Um, That kind of puts a lot of pressure on these parents, Mm -hmm. um, especially my parents. I think that's the only reason why they're scared right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's something I'd ever tell my parents or my uh, family in India, but it's just, it's really hard dealing with uh, that in an Asian household and just like hearing your friends who have come out to you, but only you and hearing what they say their parents have said about that. It's just really hard to hear. But I think one thing that I, I, I think of as a silver lining is how will, I, um, how will I teach my children how to deal with this and yeah, um, how can I make it better? Yeah, I think public image is definitely a big priority that a lot of Asian households have. Mm-hmm. And like they care about Parents want to live to their kids is what, how, my, how my parents put it. Yeah. I mean, they're like that too. Like they, they say that they want to, they want to live what they want it to be through their kids, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I think I agree with the children part because the only way, like, 
society will progress is like you, I think like ninety five percent of people just inherit their beliefs from their parents, right? And like the the chance of that that ninety five becoming different is like pretty low, right? Because like if you look at two people's parents, you pretty much understand. I mean, you get your core set of values from your parents, no. right? And if your parents are like insanely homophobic, I mean, you probably will be too, right? So I think it, it's our job as you know people that are. I mean, we're all. To at a point where I mean you're about to be eighteen soon, right? Right. Yeah, we're all dude. You're about to be eighteen in like in like a month, which is crazy. <laughs> a month and a half. So I think that's like our. It's becoming our burden now as we become the next adults. You know, we'll, we'll be entering the workforce. We'll be doing X, Y, and Z. I think that's like really our job to do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you have Do you have any anything? I I do have other questions. Do you go? No. Okay. <laughs> so the next question that I mean, I just really want to talk about um that that GHP moment. Right. Because I don't know about you, but I definitely noticed that you were more comfortable with yourself after attending that camp. And I heard a lot of people saying good things about what happened at that camp. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you got like a standing ovation there. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from, from, from my friends that attended the camp. And I think that like, that's just amazing, honestly. So, hear. you know, we've been talking about a lot of uncomfortable stuff. So how, so we want to talk about something positive, right? So how, what was that feeling of like, you know, so everyone there was standing and clapping for you, right? How liberating was that for you as a person to, to understand that, you know, people were finally applauding you for who you were rather than some kind of facade that you put up? Yeah. So when I was just, when I started, I had that entire burden of my experiences on me and just never being able to tell anyone about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I started to go, people started snapping and stuff like that. And that kind of motivated me to keep on going. Um, and I just... I think I pushed out a lot of my emotions and expressed it through that, um, through that medium. And then at the end, when I got that applause, it felt like the world to me because mm-hmm. it felt like people were kind of listening to my story that has been hidden for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that felt amazing. And then people coming up, other Indian kids coming up after me, coming up to me after um, was just amazing because... I just wanted to be that voice for them, like I said before. Um, and if I had that, I knew I would be so much more confident in who I was at a much earlier age. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have gone through that reconciliation period for however long. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, after five years, some experience like that would be enlightening. I can't imagine. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess one of the reasons why we, we brought you on chiefly is because we wanted to, we knew we wanted to talk about you know, the LGBTQ community, but we didn't have the topical authority, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we we wanted to do the topic justice by bringing someone who's not only a member, but someone who's an active member in terms of, you know, helping push, you know, for, for change, essentially. Yeah. So we wanted to understand what the process of change was in terms of what you've done so far for the community and how you feel that change can be done in the future. Yeah. Right. So for one, I'm quite vocal on social media Mm -hmm. on lgbt matters i'm quite vocal in family discussions or uh discussions with friends um and so one of those topics i think is conversion therapy which i don't know if you want to discuss now or Mm -hmm. yeah we can go okay so um just like i think it is so crazy that it's still happening Mm -hmm. but um in 1973 the american psychiatric association deemed homosexuality it took it off its um, mental illness registry. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as it had been on there before. And that kind of took away scientific backing behind um, homophobia. And then um, in terms of the scientific backing behind um, conversion therapy, the uh, academic who kind of justified it, who's Dr. Robert Spitzer, um, backtracked on his statements and said it was scientifically faulty. And so that really begs the question, what is it? what does it say about the conversion therapy centers that continue to perpetuate it? Like there is no scientific backing behind it. It's completely ineffective. Why are they continuing to do it? Um, and I think it's really just a fear, fear factor. Like they're just continu- continuing to do it to push the um, LGBT community into silence as they have been before. Um, and I think that's incredibly damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the youth that go through it, it's definitely torture. And it's it's something that they deal with lifelong for trauma and mental illness. And yeah, and I think there needs to be legal protections against it because mm-hmm. quite frankly, right now there is not sufficient, um, not sufficient protections for the LGBT, LGBTQ plus community. And for those who don't know, conversion therapy is just the so-called practice of attempting to change one's sexual orientation or gender identity and yeah i think from some sexuality to being straight yeah that, exactly. that's pretty much what it is and it can be physical mental or whatever side and i think you know um my parent my family's very religious we're, we're catholic so when you go when you when i started going to church i remember the priest basically indoctrinates these little kids to believe you know like the whole adam and eve story <laughs> to dude and a girl that's the only way to have kids whatever all of that and I, have you seen ladybird yeah. You know how one of the characters in Ladybird, I don't know what his name is, but he's very upset with his identity and how it clashes with the church because she goes to a Catholic oh, yes. school. I, I, when you when I saw that, I, it, it kind of like clicked me because I, I remember being taught that. I don't go to church anymore, but I remember being taught that. And, and it really shows you that like it's not something that's far-fetched because you would think in 2020, like this kind of shit wouldn't exist anymore, right? right. You would think that... I don't know, it just, especially the whole conservative thing, like how conservatives are like, oh, this, you know, conversion therapy is good, whatever. I don't want to generalize conservatives. There are a lot of conservatives that support the community, but I'm talking about hardline conservatives that don't support it. And I feel like if you advocate for freedom of expression and freedom of speech, there is a lot of cognitive dissonance going on when you're supporting conversion therapy and then also supporting like free speech and freedom of expression. So what do you think that... um conversion therapy means in terms of like the political world because you're really involved like advocacy and stuff right right so just connecting it back to religion like uh-huh. you said i do not think there's any religious justification for homophobia what whatever shape it may take um and there shall be no um infiltration of the state by the church there mm-hmm. has to be a separation yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um And so I think with a lot of these policies, a lot of their justification is religious matters. And so that already, in my eyes, invalidates them in whatever regard. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think just advocating um, local laws, uh, protecting the LGBT community, and especially LGBT youth um, against uh, conversion therapy is the best thing we can do. But yeah, that's that's really where it's at right now. I don't want to sidetrack too much, but, like, you just mentioned religion, and I wanted to ask, like, personally for you, like, um, I, I assume you're Hindu. Yes. And you do practice Hinduism. So, 
I guess with like obviously that's different from a lot of the general American religious justification for um, conversion therapy or just practicing against the LGBTQ plus community. But like for you personally, like how did how did you kind of experience or like was there some sort of clash or reconciliation between your religion that you practice and um, your identity? Right. So whenever I went to the temple when I was little, I've always been very religious. Um, whenever I went to the temple, there was never like talking about social issues. Yeah. It's not like the temple or um, there's like a there's an all knowing being in Hinduism that tells us. Uh, tells us what our stances should be on political and social issues and human rights. Um, so I kind of did a lot of that research myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched these debates in India where they're just yelling at each other. <laughs> um, and so there are a lot of these religious zealots that kind of argue that homosexuality is a thing of the West. Um, and it's, right. very, uh, it's, it's very, very anti-Indian and anti-Hindu. But I would argue the complete opposite. Yeah, um, prior to British colonization, there there was so much um, homosexuality and transgenderism in India, and it was so fluid. And I thought it was so beautiful just reading, um, just studies into the past about that. And even if you look at our um, temples, the carvings on it, they have um, carvings of gay sexual positions and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the strong hijra community in india where it's um it's comprised of transgender people intersex people um and it's it's regarded as a third gender and so when the british came they kind of saw this as barbaric and backwards and so they kind of imposed their abrahamic um justifications against homosexuality on the general populace and that um that seeped into uh what is now mainstream Indian culture, and it kind of kept there even when it was kept there even when the British left. Gotcha. And I think like something that's just stuck with me as as also someone who practices Hinduism is that like a big thing is because there's so many practicers of of the religion around the world. I think something that stuck with me is Hinduism. You can interpret it the way you want to, and I think I, like that's why I think that especially with regards to Hinduism, like there is no religious justification for homophobia because. It's Hinduism, I wouldn't say subjective, that's probably the wrong connotation of it, but it's the way you interpret it and and you can practice it and believe it in the way you want to, which I think is something that a lot of people, if they haven't kind of adapted that perspective, I think they should. And I don't think there's like a textbook way to practice a religion and there's no textbook way to Mm -hmm. spread your beliefs or there's no textbook way for everyone to be believing the same things and the same morals and ideals, which is why I think that Stuff like homophobia that's disrespectful towards groups of people is like is is not justified by by Hinduism. Yeah, and like even with Christianity and uh, versions of Christianity, I'll say like Catholicism is essentially just a, a very similar religion. There are a lot of uh, members of the LGBTQ community that practice those religions. So I feel like justifying conversion therapy via religious methods is really a subjective interpretation of what your religion is. Because mm-hmm. if if members of the LGBT community can believe in the same God then it's it's your interpretation that creates conver- conver- conversion therapy. God never said something, or whatever deity there is, probably never said anything about what the right way to live is. I feel like it's just a subjective interpretation of yeah. what your, your religious text or whatever says. 
But at, at, at the core, I mean, I agree with what he said. That, like, regardless of what goes on in religion, there should be no... Like, it shouldn't be correlated with the state in any way. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Because religion at its core is like a subjective thing. So mm-hmm. putting into some, like an objective system, which is supposed to be our government, doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, but going back to the core of conversion therapy, if you had to give someone of like an elevator pitch as to like why conversion therapy is bad, which it is, like it's very yeah. clearly bad. But for people, there are a lot of people, like you said, that still, you know, use the F word slur. There are a lot of people that still believe it works. There are a lot of people that believe that the religious means, social, social means, whatever they believe what their parents have taught them. You know, we we want you to we want to amplify your platform to a certain extent. Despite you know, we have a pretty small following, but we like to think that that they're a very trusted and uh, yeah. dedicated following. So, what would you say in terms of you know the historical argument, the scientific argument of why it's problematic and why it just like literally doesn't work? Yeah. So I'll I'll hit the ineffectiveness first. Mm-hmm. It's it's just completely ineffective. You cannot change someone's sexuality. Um, numerous studies have been have shown that you cannot change someone's sexuality. It's not something that's um, malleable in such a way, um, and it's not controlled by the person themselves. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, the people who had run conversion camps in the past, a lot of them realize that it's ineffective, and they have and they abandoned did. shipped. Yeah, <laughs> abandoned shipped. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a great movie you can watch. It's called Boy Erased. Um, and it's about that entire story. Um, and at the end, you you realize that the person who had that camp kind of thing, uh, he left. And he's now happily married to a man. Um, so it's it's just someone who's denying their own identity and that's kind of projecting it onto other people, I think, is a lot of what, where that comes from. And then as for the harmfulness of it, it's incredibly damaging to LGBT youth. Um, it causes lifelong trauma, as I said before, and um, in many cases can relate. Um, in many cases, can result in suicide. Yeah, I know mm-hmm. the suicide rate for is higher. Right. Yeah. It's it's just despicable that it's that it's continuing. I think. Yeah, I agree, and I think that like a lot of people just have to do research on it and become more knowledgeable, not only about not only the people who already support the abolishment of prison therapy or people who support it support the practice itself. Or even people who like, just like you said, the people who like run these camps and and whatnot. I think everyone should definitely research, learn more about it, learn more about whether it works and the fact that it just doesn't work like all the time, and kind of the bad things that that happens because of it. Um, but yeah, it's- I think like besides the fact that it doesn't work, like it's very clear it doesn't work, but the the, the damaging impacts it has, right? It's like someone putting like you in a camp and saying you're not Indian, like forcing you to believe it. And, mm-hmm. I, and I read an article about this in the New York Times. The worst part about conversion therapy is some people leave it believing they're changed, but they're not. And it, and, it, and it creates this dissonance between who they really are and the life they live. And the worst part is some people leave and get married to like a woman or like if, if they're a lesbian person, they'll leave and get married to a man, which is like that just... Mm-hmm. It's because you know you that you've really fucked them up because they've now they really believe someone that they're not right. You've that's how far you've damaged them. Because I feel like what's worse than uh, what's worse than a member of the LGBTQ community person taking their life is when they've become what they never wanted to be, and they, and they've become a different person. Because I don't know if you're leading any kind of double life that there, there's no way that's healthy for you. It's probably mm-hmm. even less healthy than, I don't know, 
I just don't think that's right. Yeah, agreed. Um, but I guess we can transition into kind of our second general topic that I know Samuel wants to talk about is like the lack of protection and acceptance for LGBTQ students, especially in a high school setting. So I know in colleges, I, like from what I've heard and researched that colleges, a lot of colleges have, ad- have adopted a more open-minded approach mm-hmm. towards accepting the LGBTQ community and students that are part of this community on their campus. But I think in, in high schools, because it's a more closed environment, um, and, and a lot of students are just maturing and like learning about the world. They're also pretty immature and say some dumb shit. So I think like what do you, like and, you, and you've spoken on your on your personal experiences. But what do you think that schools in general should do to allow for more protection and acceptance for these students? Right. I just don't think there's the infrastructure in high schools to protect LGBT students um, from bullying, which is just the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. um, in terms of the issues that they face. Um, I think. I think there's a lot more work to be done. I think a lot of schools are fearful that they're taking political stances when they're protecting LGBT students, but it's simply a matter of human rights, and it's simply a matter of protecting your own students from bullying. Um, and I know a lot of a lot of schools take hardline positions on bullying, but when it applies to when it when it involves these political matters and it weaves that in, they they kind of sweep it under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I think that's something that very much needs to be addressed. And I know, I think a lot of colleges are successful in dealing with these things because they have, they have offices for LGBT mm-hmm. students. Yeah. All colleges do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they already have that infrastructure in place and they can work with that framework. Um, and even in schools, 26 states have no laws preventing bullying for LGBT students. Um, and in fact, eight states kind of prevent teachers from talking about those matters. Um, and there's no LGBT sex ed, so I had to learn all that stuff on the internet, just researching it and clearing my search history. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's incredibly damaging to find that stuff on the in- internet because a lot of the times it's not completely objective and it's mm-hmm. based on people's experiences. Yeah. And so that's not for safe for LGBT students, and I don't think we're looking out for them enough. Yeah. So, okay, it's... The infrastructure thing, I completely agree that there's there's infrastructure that exists and that, in theory, should be effective. But part of the reason why it's not completely effective is literally, like, bullying is so hard to prevent because some people are just mean, you know? Some people just won't, like, accept others and the fact that they're different, right? So, you know, after the, the death of George Floyd, a lot of social changes happened. In ter- I feel like society has like a revelation in terms of what's right and what's not right in terms of racism, right? So you see a lot of TikToks about internalized racism against Asians and how, oh, not internalized, normalized, normalized. racism <laughs> against Asians and Indians and how that's changing. A lot of stuff has changed in terms of how the black community is treated. So what do you think it would take socially to change that and create the same kind of change for the LGBTQ community. Because to be honest, everything is focused on race right now. Every time I go on any like media. So, you know, what kind of stuff would you do to kind of lead a movement or what, what, if you had a movement, what do you think would be the way to change that in the way that George Floyd's death and all the um, subsequent protests and activism movements have done for race relations? Right. I know this sounds horrible, but I do think there needs to be an event of that scale that kind of wakes people up and uh-huh. realize that mm-hmm. it is a problem. Um, 
and from there we can work. I don't want to infiltrate, I guess, this move, current movement for Black Lives mm-hmm. with LGBT issues. Like, for example, when I was uh, writing the letter with my co-author, I didn't want to include LGBT um, issues within that letter because I, I thought it was specifically for race um, and racial intolerance at our school. And I think a lot of times the struggles with these social movements is they spread themselves too thin and they try to cover all these issues. Uh-huh. Um, and that's not always effective. But I think one thing that the Black Lives Matter movement has been doing is emphasizing intersectionality, yeah. um, especially with advocating for black trans, li- black trans lives because they've been mm-hmm. disproportionately affected by police brutality. Um, so I think it's just a progress and we might be, it might seem like we're tacked on to these social movements, these larger social movements, but I know our time will come and... Um, I, I do think progress is still happening for the LGBT community, mm-hmm. so it's not Definitely. like it's just for at sure, a standstill sure. because there's a bigger movement right now, but, yeah. I think, like, yeah, I think a lot of people just don't realize the extent to which, um, like, homophobia is, like, in, like not infiltrated, but it's just been a part of society and, and social norms. I think that, like, again, like, neither of us, like, we're not really wishing on anything bad to happen to the LGBT LGBTQ a lot community. Of bad shit is already happening. Yeah, it's yeah. not publicized. Yeah, exactly. Like I think that like we're not wishing on on anything of 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 that extent to happen to to wake people up. But like, if there if if that's honestly, I see the only way of people kind of realizing, okay, we have to like do something about this, and and it's hard. And I think that's also just another uh, another flaw is that people don't realize the extent of these problems unless they either personally experience it themselves. Or they just realize how much it's just taken over, like, society as a whole. Yeah. Like, if you go on TikTok, there's so, there's a lot of trans people. If you go... Okay, this is kind of horrible, but if you go on any trans person's page, right? And you go to the comments, it's just... Literally, all the top comments will be, like, people misgendering them. And then they get, like, tons of likes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Allison Beck is an example. You know, Nikita Dragon. Mm-hmm. She's another example. Dude, if you go to her page, it's all, like, he, he, he. And... It's just, I don't know, I feel, and then, you know that argument that's just like, oh, like, they're biologically male, so we call it, call him a he or whatever. I just think it's so much easier for people who are misgendering or purposely misgendering um, to change one word in their vocabulary as compared to somebody having to change their entire identity so that you don't have to say an extra word or something, you know? Mm -hmm. That just doesn't make sense. I feel like there's a lot of things that people aren't thinking through because they're not personally affected. do I blame them? Not not really, but it's their job. It's their obligation to learn more, right? Rowan and I are straight people. We'll never understand what it's like, right? Mm-hmm. But it's our job to be allies, and it's our job to understand or try to understand as much as possible. And I feel like that's what a lot of people are missing. They're just like, all right, it's not me, so I, I don't got to do shit, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's just a big problem because when, you know, you know that saying, it's like a, being a bystander is like the same thing as supporting the oppressor. Right. I'm not sure if that's the exact saying, but there's a saying along those like lines. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like if you're if you're watching a, a group, entire group of people being marginalized and beat down, you're like, ah, shit, that's not me. That's literally you helping the oppressors keep on oppressing these people. Exactly. Exactly. I think that like also, what do you think students can? I mean, obviously, like high school students, a lot of us are immature. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all made mistakes, and we will continue to make mistakes, um, especially with like what we say and what we do. But what do you think high schoolers can do just on a daily basis that would help kind of eradicate some of these problems that you've personally experienced or that you've seen uh, happen as well? 
Right. So I think just calling out people when they're when they have casually homophobic behavior, or even if it's not casual, like calling someone the F word, um, just calling that stuff out. Um, fortunately, I've had people by my side to do that. And I, I think I'm strong and confident enough to do it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just attacking those prejudices every single day um, when you see it is something that anybody can be doing and everybody should be doing. Um, it might sound difficult, but it's it's what we need, quite frankly. Yeah, I think like that's something that I've I've kind of realized is something that 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 I should be doing a lot more of is calling out um some of these slurs that are being said and and some homophobic actions that that are being made. But like, I've I've I'll admit like I've been more I've been an observer more than someone who's called it out recently, and I think that's something that like <coughs> I need to do a lot more of because even though it's not affecting me that doesn't mean that like i should just stay out of it just just like you said brian and um yeah i think students should just research learn more about like the oppression that's going on and learn more about why they should care about it mm-hmm. i think the more research they do the more the more they're going to realize that like they like like they have to yeah, do something yeah. about it and, and change needs to happen like if i think i think what a lot of people will, i think what a lot of people can learn from is if you're not willing to educate others then educate yourself and then you'll get the passion to educate others because yeah. once you realize what's really wrong and why everything is the way it is then you'll want to explain that to someone right because mm. like i didn't know anything about the entire like i knew what the lgbt community was like obviously but i didn't know all the stuff about intersectionality i didn't know all about the like the fact that sexual education doesn't exist one of the reasons why i became more aligned and one of the reasons why i started understanding more is because i joined my nonprofit, youth against sexual violence mm-hmm. a lot of the members there are members of the lgbtq community so talking with them going to meetings with them understanding you know how what they feel and then you know educating myself because you know we had to write a, a, a draft of a bill to propose in terms of how we're going to start implementing um lgbtq plus based sex education in washington state and for us, in, when you start learning about that, even though you're a straight male, you kind of feel obligated to start telling others. That's, I don't know. That's why I feel like everyone, it's, it's, that's why I feel like it should be mandatory, right? Like, you learn about the civil rights movement even if you're not black, per, per se, right? And I feel like the same thing should be happening with, the, with all the LGBTQ plus related issues because that way you understand what's going on and you know what's wrong because mm-hmm. otherwise the, the reason why kids are just like spitting out the f word and and you know like every time uh, have you been on like a Fortnite like lobby or something you play Fortnite a lot yeah Dude, I, I, it's I, so <laughs> bad it's so <laughs> bad yeah a lot of videos a lot of just i mean especially in, a, in, in an environment where people feel quote-unquote comfortable and like they feel like they're not going to be judged and they say some of the worst things yeah, that, that anyone can say. Yeah. Fortnite, for example. But um, I think people need to realize, like, okay, just because you're 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 saying these things that a lot of people aren't like hearing doesn't make you like someone that's you know supporting the issue or like not against the issue. If that makes sense, um, because like again, karma, dude, it, it's gonna come back to you if you say that kind of shit every single day in a Fortnite lobby, and and maybe none of your friends know that that you say that, your parents don't know, or no one knows. The fact that you say that is just a bad reflection on your character and and it and you'll get into that habit of doing it and it's going to just just hit you later in the yeah. future. Yeah. So we're kind of drawing to a close. So we want to kind of 
leave the table open for any discussion that we wanted to have that wasn't able to be inserted. So do you have anything else that you wanted to mention in the notes you brought? Anything else or any closing statements before we end Not up? particularly. I would just say get involved with your local politics um, because that's where you can have the biggest impact. Um, inform yourself on LGBT issues, especially in your state. Um, I know for Georgia, there's Georgia Equality, which I'm involved in. So maybe check their website out and see what issues um, plague the LGBT community in Georgia. Um, and just really get connected with maybe some LGBT friends of yours or try to make some LGBT friends because that's where you can really gain perspectives that you had never seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess my closing statement is just be a decent human being. I feel like that would solve so many issues. <laughs> if you were a decent human being, you wouldn't go around uh, misgendering people. You wouldn't go around offending other people. Just, just, just. I don't know. Is it that hard to be nice? I don't. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I can, I can poke some fun sometimes, but like, if someone, you like, people have humans are animals that have a lot of sympathy, right? We have a lot of empathy for each other, and I think it's not that hard to sense when someone is uncomfortable. And for you to stop saying something that makes another person uncomfortable is not that hard. And I guess that's my closing. I think point. a lot of people yeah. just like act homophobic because they're going against the. The general opinion towards that specific issue and like they do it to be cool which like people don't realize like i think high schoolers do this a lot is just they they make those like funny you know quote-unquote funny tiktok duets um mi- like purposely misdreading people because they want to seem cool and they want to gain that clout but like okay okay you might be gaining likes on your comment but that's just like some like one of the worst things to do and it's a bad again bad reflection on your character and the fact that you're doing it on on that kind of a platform a lot of people will take note of yeah. that. Also, you're dumb if you do. Like, like 40, 50 years out of line, let's say somebody gets famous, they find that, bro, you're, you're like, done for. <laughs> like, there's no way, like, your platform will be snatched away from you so fast. Exactly. Yeah, so, um, I guess I'll do an outro this time because Rare always does it. Um, first, I want to thank Sammy for being on the show. Yeah, thank it, you for having me. Yeah. I loved hearing a lot of what you said. I think that having someone who is a member of the community was so enlightening for mm-hmm, us. Definitely. Because we're not, we're not part we wouldn't know what it's like so for us to hear it from somebody who has experienced it firsthand is something that's very helpful and we hope that everyone else who is listening feels the exact same way um sammy is our first guest on the podcast uh but i I think it's a great start it's it's a good start (laughs) it's It's a a great first guest so uh if you think you can top sammy then apply (laughs) (laughs) apply uh we have we're gonna we have we just posted yeah as of today tinyurl.com slash straight up guest it'll take you literally a minute to fill out um we'll get back to you and because you guys are sharing your perspectives we don't want to limit you to anything um you guys are choosing the topic and you guys are choosing kind of what subtopics and what we're going to be covering and discussing so again you know this is a time and and um this is a platform i guess this is just a simple way for you to kind of be able to express your opinion and and amplify your platform and and what you believe in, uh, I think Sammy's been able to do that. Even though we don't have the biggest platform out there, um, <laughs> I think it's just another way to be able to do that. But yeah, okay, perfecto. That is you ended. <laughs> is that it? Yeah, you All ended. right, thank you guys. We'll see you guys next week.